I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum! Astral Radio Z is a horror, cult, exploitation film podcast by filmmakers, critics, musicians, journalists, and fans for the film obsessed. Here is your host, Derek Carey. Welcome to another episode of Astro Radio Z. I am your host, as always, Derek Carey, and with me are a bunch of great guys. I'm glad to have one individual back who hasn't been on the show because we've been doing a bunch of witchcraft nonsense for what seems to be six months. Mr. Andrew Shearer of Gonzerific Films and the Cinemaphile Podcast. How are you doing, my friend? I'm wonderful. I'm happy to be amongst this group. I love you guys, man. Seriously. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Andrew. It's always great to hear your voice. Let's go on to Mr. Glenn Bittner. How you doing, sir? Just fresh off of a couple movie shoot. Let me know. How did that go? The shoots went beautifully. Absolutely. Just, I mean, I couldn't have asked for better weather. And as far as we can tell, we haven't gone through all the footage yet, but nothing went wrong. Maybe and no drama on the set. Have you started looking at the footage? Not yet. I, I just got back. I was out of town for uh, six days. Ah, there you go. So we'll be looking at it. My DP has been looking at stuff, so, and he's liking what he's seeing so far. Good. Good, good, good. Uh, who's editing this picture? My friend Dave, uh, he edited my last one. I mean, he's pretty new at the, at the game of, like, editing actual films like this. I mean, he, he he's done film work plenty in the past, but most of what he's done is he filmed like seminars and sporting events and stuff like that. So he just started getting into actual film last year, but he seems to know what he's doing. So Mr. Brian curse, big gay horror fan. It's always good to see you and hear from you. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing all right, man. I am doing okay. Happy to be here. Any big news on your front? Um, uh, thanks for asking Derek, but, um, no. No. Now I feel like the shit. No. <laughs> I was just wondering what the fuck have I done with my life this afternoon? Well, I do Way to know. rub it in. Way to I, rub it in. I, I do know, have man. This, I have Brian. this bottle of whiskey and all these pills sitting right next to me. But uh, I, I wasn't going to bring it up, but thank you for asking. Thank you for asking. So, somebody mailed Brian a really cool pillowcase. That happened. That yeah. did happen. Yeah. That did happen. <laughs> let's Andrew let's hear about this because I was jealous when I saw the pictures on Facebook. Mr. Andrew Shearer is awesome as all get out. And um, they had an event where they showed the original Summer Party Massacre film. Yeah. And I begged him, and he sent me the pillowcase from that event. So I have a Slumber Party Massacre pillowcase and two awesome Gonzo-rific uh, compilation DVDs, which I've started to look through. It's a great day. I, I can see them all from here. So Yeah, life's, life's not so bad, the cereal or the thing. <laughs> <laughs> but the game does suck. Or the game. Um. The game's bad. I got to say the the pillowcase that you got of the Slumber Party Massacre is actually a hell of a lot better than the one that Shout Factory put out with the set a few years ago when uh, they did the pre-orders. I like that one a lot better. No, uh, they were there screen printed by the uh, the people that put on the event. I mean, it's that was really, I mean, it's, Oh, that's really cool. It's rad. Yeah. Oh my god. It's, it's, uh, so it's like an original art piece. I'm Yeah, there's no that's that's it. Like <laughs> they were made by by the people that put on the thing. That's so. pretty awesome, man. That is really awesome. 
That's rad as fuck. I, let me tell you, I have been waiting for years for uh, Fright Rags to finally reissue their Slumber Party Massacre shirt. You remember that shirt that they put out probably like five, six years ago? They had the killer with the, the drill up above his head coming out. Maybe I'm the only one who remember. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I remember. I missed yeah. I came on to them like at the tail end and all they had left are, are smalls. I'm not a small kind of guy. <laughs> I, I, w- I would literally look like I was wearing a titty shirt. If I why don't you why don't you just um why don't you cut it up and sew it to like a hoodie or something? That's what I do yeah. with stuff that's too big or whatever. Yeah, yeah I should. Well, I don't that's even know how punk rock anymore. does it, Derek. That's, right. uh, that's uh, how punk rock does uh, it. Uh, it is. <laughs> you know Have what you I'm guys talking about. Seen the Death Waltz release of the soundtrack? Oh uh, yes, yeah. I did. It's pretty awesome. I, I I've I've got that. So pretty that's cool. a pretty awesome soundtrack. I've always loved that one. It's an awesome soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm still pissed that they keep resurrecting all these like really blah designs, fright rags for these shirts, but they don't bring that one back. Those motherfuckers. I should just freaking strangle their asses. I want that goddamn slum. You hear me, fright rags? I want the slumber party massacre shirt. Just do it. You. We don't need Freddy as fucking the dude from Twilight or or Freddy and Jason as, as kiss members. Give me the goddamn slumber party massacre shirt already. Jesus Christ. Speaking of Jesus Christ, making in Rochester, New York, with that rant, Derek. Jesus Christ, people. (laughs) Speaking of Jesus Christ, Mark the Movie Man, how are you doing tonight? (laughs) I am doing very well, my son. (laughs) (laughs) I I have some water here. Can you give me some wine, please? I've I've got my wine. I've got my fruit fruit drink made of wine. Which I'm not sure what kind of wine. It the ingredients just say wine. <laughs> so seeing so, how it's it, it seems to be a very hip and popular kind of segment on all horror podcasts nowadays. Mark the Movie Man. This is our new segment. Is what frou frou drink is Mark the Movie Man drinking tonight on this episode of Astro Radio Z? So Mark, what is the frou frou drink of choice tonight? The frou frou drink. Like- Choice is a blue Hawaiian made of like Windex, wine, Martin. wine and Windex, I think, and uh, ice and I don't know what else. Supposedly fruit flavors. I don't know. I they're like a buck fifty, so I throw them in the freezer and then I have them for my podcast. Oh, so. I know what you. How do you feel in the morning? Oh, <laughs> just fine. Yeah. These are like two percent alcohol. I mean. I've got fermented grapes in my fridge that I think have a higher alcohol content. Than this. <laughs> Still, I would just if it's a buck fifty, that's got to be hardcore waking up. I, I be Little something. do you know, Brian, that actually when you buy that. those packs, those frozen packs, roofies come with them, and he pops up yeah. roofies in for himself, so he forgets roof, that he's actually roof. drinking. That's right. That's why I always get a new one because I always forget I had one. So there you go. It's that's a hell of a marketing gimmick. <laughs>
tonight on the show. Unfortunately, Scott Davis couldn't be with us tonight. And this show was actually one of his ideas a while back was that on ScreenCrush.com, they put out a list of uh, the sad list of movies with a perfect 0% rating on RottenTomatoes.com. It's easy for people to, you know, sit in dog on films as being the worst things ever. And it's always attractive and clickbait for people to uh, write these kind of articles and put these lists together of what potentially are the worst films of all time. What attracts me to see these lists is to find the movies that I actually like on these lists. So tonight, what we're going to do is each and every one of us on Astro Radio Z has gone through this list of the 0% perfect like goose egg ratings on RottenTomatoes.com and found one film on this list that we want to defend as being a good film. Not all shitty films are shitty. They may not be good in the traditional sense, but are they enjoyable? Very much so. So tonight, that's what we're going to do. I've asked my boys, each one of them, there may be two picks for some people, but I wanted everybody to pick one film off of this list that they like. Because, I mean, obviously, there's stuff like Super Babies, Baby Geniuses 2 on here and <laughs> Transylmania and, and Wagons East and, and stuff like this. So, I mean, yeah, we could sit and, like, goof on all of this fucking shit all night. But you know what? I like talking about movies that I like. So let's go with Mark, the movie man. What was the pick that you chose off of this list that you would like to defend? Well, I have a message that despite being denied by the general public, sources now confirm there was indeed a wide release film called Mega Force. A movie about a phantom army of elite men to preserve the freedom and justice that are battling forces of tyranny and evil. Starring Barry Bostwick, the hot chick from Star Trek, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Henry Silva. Yes, of course. Uh, Italian movie staple, Henry Silva. Henry Silva playing the bad guy. You also have in here as General Edward uh, Bryn White, uh, Edward Mulhar, who uh, I believe is from, um, you know, Knight Rider fame. Barry Boswick is in a gold jumpsuit and he rides around in special vehicles. Uh, with fabulous hair. And fabulous hair and the and a headband. Yeah, oh, the headband. Can't forget the headband and a scarf occasionally. I, he also wears a scarf at one point mega force man there is no way you can take this film seriously i remember seeing it on the widescreen as a kid and in the age of gi joe this was as close as you could come to a live action gi joseph <laughs> it, it really was i mean these vehicles I, I forgot to bring it but i actually have the matchbox of the big long car from them but these special vehicles they have like the rocket launching motorcycle that had three machine guns in front of it you had the dune buggies with the lasers on top of it you know i mean <laughs> you had this international cast of uh, elite fighters who volunteered for this service and these guys are basically a black ops operation uh, for for all countries is what they are. And they go against uh, Henry Silva's uh, General Guerrera, who's this guy with this army tank force that's going around blowing shit up for the hell of it and being mercenaries. And so uh, Barry Boswick, named Ace Hunter, goes about (laughs) fighting him. And, of course, they have a history because it's the cliche of they both served together and then one went one route and one went the other route. And... (laughs) 
and you just you can't help but have fun with this movie. I mean, you got Michael Beckett here as Dallas. Uh, you got Ralph Wilcox as the uh, the token black guy in here as Zachary Taylor, who of course is not listening. They've got a scene in here where they've got him listening to uh, headphones, and General Edwin. Uh, White goes, uh, Edward White goes, oh, you're listening to uh, uh, the Commodores? And he's like, no, Vivaldi. <laughs> you know, trying to play <laughs> play away from the stereotypes. You, you know, the, the, this international cast they have. It, it's just fun. It, it, it is ridiculous, big vehicle stunt fun. And I can't understand how it can be such a perfect zero rating on Rotten Tomatoes that no one can find the entertainment in this film. I mean, am I wrong? Have you have you guys seen Megaforce? Oh, I love I love Megaforce. It's a great and movie. I, I can just I can just I, I want to know how they. It's like they came up with the idea. They were smoking pot and they said, "What if ABBA was a paramilitary group?" <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you look at their vehicles i mean they they look like they're painted by just like children that decided here here's a few spray cans and, and some stencils and, and go ahead and go nuts on these things it lightning's was cool lightning's cool <laughs> well and then they did all these technology things you know and what's funny is you got all these cheesy kind of comedic moments and then suddenly they get this little bit of serious moment where this this group, you could this movie made today, you'd have conspiracy theorists through the roof because they basically listen to every military conversation in the world, both good and bad. They they listen to it all. Uh, <laughs> you know, they got advanced weaponry that nobody has seen before. I mean, really, this is just a fun movie. Uh, not even mindless fun because there is actually some thought behind it. I mean, there is a plot in this film. It has a lot of elements to it. I, I've never been the hugest Megaforce fan. I do like the movie because it is it is goofy. It's got Henry Silva, one of my favorite Italian actors ever. Every time he's in a film, I immediately am far more interested in it than I ever was before. Barry Boswick is always great in all this stuff. You got the iconic scene of the, you know, him flying on that <laughs> that motorcycle and screaming. And, one, two. <laughs> yeah, with, you know, green screened horribly. And it's there's so much. See, the thing is, at that time, there were so many movies that were made, this polk post-apocalyptic type deal where you know there were roving bands of uh, of groups uh trying to fight each other but this one seemed more involved with like the government another film that i kind of like in this too which was kind of you know the the italian uh, version of road warrior and megaforce and stuff like that was uh the new barbarians Oh, yes. Um, and it's kind of the same deal where, you know, everyone has these hyper angular vehicles. They're driving around trying to shoot each other, trying trying to avoid everyone. They're all living in the desert and blah, 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 blah. It It's pretty brainless fun. But let's let's be honest. It's pretty brainless. I mean, there's there's some it stuff. Is. There's some ideas going on, but it's a pretty brainless movie. It is. But I mean, you got the fun exploding miniatures in here along mixed with some actually impressive stunts with the vehicles, uh, you know, that they did build. Uh, the film was 20 million dollars and I think they made a tenth of that back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's filled did with. Ever end up getting a, did this ever end up getting a, a wide DVD Blu-ray release? I I don't think it has yet, has it? I think it's on DVD. I saw it on Amazon. I think the DVD at least did get a release. 
I'm not 100% sure, but I think it is out there. There's this love scene, this love scene they have between Ace Hunter and and the major, uh, the female, and it's, it's, it's skydiving. And they're skydiving horribly in front of this green screen. And Barry Boswick occasionally is moving his hands like he's controlling himself in the air. And then they'd cut away to some stock footage of two stunt people. Uh, you know, it is. It's cheesy fun. But but it knows it's cheesy fun, too. That's the whole thing is this film is not under the illusion that they're making a serious action film like some of the 80s films around that time that came out that were of similar quality that took themselves too seriously. This thing at minute one does not take itself seriously. It it knows what it is. It's it's being the cheesy comedy fun. And it I, I think it succeeds there. I think it's unfair to have it completely at zero percent. It should at least have one percent. For each of us, how about we give our honest freshness rating on each of these movies? Mark, what would you give the honest freshness rating in your mind for this film? I'd give it at least 20%. Uh, at least 20% for for the performances of the main characters in here, for the fact that people, they know what film they're making. No, it's not a good film. It's a cheesy, fun, brainless film. But it is fun. It, you can find a lot of fun in here. And I think at least it should get 20 to 25% alone for Barry Boswick in the gold <laughs> jumpsuit. Uh, <laughs> Add another 10% for Henry Silva. Yes, and then we can't forget Henry Silva in there. So, But that that's my defense uh, of Megaforce, really. If you sit and watch it, you have Transformers 4 out now, okay? And you have Megaforce, and Megaforce is more fun, even though they're both brainless films, because Megaforce just it seems to have a little bit more heart behind it. So <laughs> that, that, that's what I look at. So. Uh. I give it a thumbs up for sure. I like Megaforce. Andrew Shearer, what is the movie that you picked to defend off of the list? Oh, I just wanted to say something about uh, Megaforce really quickly. Please, oh, yeah, talk sure, about please. Megaforce. Anyone else that wants to talk about Megaforce, please chime in. Yes, please. Oh, no, up, in, okay. up until 10 minutes ago, I thought it was uh, Metal Storm. So, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But I do have to say I give Barry Boswick 30% because I once saw him give a $100 bill to, for two straight men to kiss each other at a convention. <laughs> so rock and roll Barry Boswick. He's, he's a great actor. I'm so, he's had so much – he's had fun with his career. I mean, has anyone seen FDR American Badass? There you go. So now it goes up to 40% because he was in FDR American Badass. <laughs> Uh, uh, uh. You didn't think I was gonna catch up to you, did you? Man, I did, did you. Man, I did you. Why you leave a little homie on stuff? I didn't leave a little homie nothing, nigga. You were supposed to pick me up anyway. You gotta lower your motherfucking voice. You were supposed to pick me up anyway. Give a fuck. You still left a little homie on stuff. He in the hospital with his ass in a sling. Look, man, I told you I ain't had nothing to do with that, man. Homie why, you me up? why you move your hands like that? Keep your hands to your motherfucking side. Man, homie picked me up. We got pulled over by the police. He gets out the car and starts dumping. I ran. I mean, what? I ran. I mean, what? I'm tired of this shit, nigga. Damn. Oh, what? Oh, he's. 
Oh, oh, make oh, you the movie that uh, that I picked is a film called Three Strikes from uh, 2000, and it falls under the urban comedy uh, genre of film that is one of my, you know, when we did the bad movie culture uh, episode, I talked about a film called um, I Got the Hookup. Uh, you remember that? And um, oh yeah, that so, was a fun one, man. So I kind of ran down my sort of my my feelings for that that type of movie, and this you know for critics to review uh, stuff like that, uh, it's just kind of like shooting fish in the barrel for them. Uh, it's really kind of unfair, and um, you know with with Rotten Tomatoes, uh, in order to get your critical reviews on there, you've got to be a member of the Online Film Critics Society, and in order to get into the Online Film Critics Society, you have to publish, you know, in 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 the neighborhood of about two hundred reviews in a given year. And so anybody that just writes a bunch of reviews, whether or not they mean anything, whether or not they even had any passion for the film, whether or not they even really watched the film, doesn't matter. So Three Strikes has 29 reviews, and it's a 0% at Rotten Tomatoes based on 29 reviews. Do you want to hear, before I talk about how, how good the movie is, here, here's some snippets from some of the reviews these critics have given. Critics Movies Reviews, Rec Arts Critics Movie Reviews says this is a truly dismal cinematic experience. This is a comedy and they're calling it dismal. Uh, TV Guide Movie Guide says disposable, forgettable, and aimed at an audience that doesn't care. And... Um, you know, they, they're saying stuff like this about, just, you know, basically a silly screwball urban comedy is really kind of not fair because, like, what are you exactly weighing it against? Um, but the the worst of them all here is actually kind of the best of them. And when I uh, talked about um, I, I Got the Hookup, I said that I read a bad review of it and it made me want to go see it. And in the bad review, all it said was the last line in the movie was that bitch done shot me in my ass. <laughs> and I went to see the movie because I'm like, that sounds amazing. If uh, I did not seen Three Strikes and I went to the um, Rotten Tomatoes uh, site to see um, what some of these 0% reviews came from, one of them says, to give you an idea of the level of comedy here, Antonio Fargas has fewer lines than he does farts playing a flatulent <laughs> uncle. That is from E! Online. I would watch it just because I know it's got a lot of farts and Antonio Fargus <laughs> is farting the farts. I'm so Antonio Fargus, of course, uh, most famous for playing uh, Huggy Bear in um, the Starsky and Hutch series, but he's also been in uh, several black exploitation movies. Like uh, he was in Foxy Brown, mm -hmm. just to name probably the most famous one. Uh, he does play a flatulent uncle in Three Strikes, and he's amazing in it. And the farts are fantastic. And <laughs> I went, I saw this movie in the theater. I went to see it in the theater, and I'll tell you why in a second. Uh, but the user reviews, um, interesting thing happens on Rotten Tomatoes. Seven thousand user reviews results in a sixty-six percent fresh rating for Three Strikes. Wow. Uh, this tells me that um, uh, this this uh, TV guide, movie guide says it's uh, aimed at an audience that doesn't care. I think they're absolutely wrong about that. Here are my couple of my favorite user reviews um, on Rotten Tomatoes, just to give you an idea of uh, what's going on here. Uh, both of them have the word ass in them and used really well. Uh, the five-star review from Jamie Dykus 07 says this is a funny-ass movie. Uh, that's a five-star rating from a user on Rotten Tomatoes. A four-and-a-half stars from Cam B says... Ow, my ass, man. I'm a die. I'm a die. That is a line from me. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll give you the context in a minute. Three strikes is, uh, is based on the three strikes law that uh, came into effect in California around the mid 90s. And basically it was if you've committed a couple like felonies or violent crimes or serious crimes, two of them, if you get a third 
arrest, it doesn't matter what kind of crime it is, you go to jail for a minimum of 25 years to life. And it was meant to kind of crack down on repeat offenders and crack down the crime rate. Some people say it did have an effect on crime in Los Angeles. Some say statistically it kind of didn't. And it was just kind of a coincidence. But the movie Three Strikes came out in 2000. It was around exactly when all this stuff was going on. It's uh, written and directed by a fellow named DJ Pooh, who is a hip hop producer. He's worked with uh, uh, guys like Ice Cube and uh, Snoop Dogg. And um, the movie is his directorial debut. And it's about a guy named Rob, played by Brian Hooks, who is huge in the direct-to-video urban comedy world. He's been the star of several movies, including Fat Beach with Coolio, mm-hmm. probably his uh, most well-known one, but also um, Male Booty, Nothing to Lose, stuff like that. He uh, he plays a guy named Rob who is getting out of jail, and um, the guy who's supposed to pick him up gets caught up in um, staring at a girl's ass that's shaking in his face, and so uh, he gets picked up by a guy's crony, and the crony is driving a stolen car, and of course the cops pull him over, and Rob's like, oh god, I can't go to jail again, that's my third strike, I'm going to go for 25 years, so he just runs. So the whole movie is basically like, he's on the run from the cops, because if he gets arrested, that's his ass, but he's also run afoul of these gangster guys that were supposedly his friends for um, not sticking around and taking one for the team so they're all looking for him and uh his parents you know mom wants him to stay his dad played by the awesome george wallace hilarious comedian just wants him out of the house and the movie is littered with uh really funny actors including monique who won an academy award for her performance in precious um also it's got boucher wright who was in uh indies like girls town and the hughes brothers awesome movie dead presidents um, and uh, it's also got Faison Love, who played Big Worm in Friday. DJ Pooh, the writer-director of Three Strikes, wrote Friday. And this is a very similar movie to Friday. That's mm-hmm. the audience that it's aimed at, and that's mm-hmm. why I went to see it. Friday is funny. All of the Friday movies are funny to me. Yeah. And uh, Three Strikes is if you like the Friday movies, you're going to like it. It's really funny. It's the same kind of humor. DJ Pooh is a brilliant comedy writer. And um, I just thought, I think the movie is fantastic. It's really funny. Yeah, it's got a lot of farts in it, but um, I really don't know what's wrong with that. And that's coming from a guy who is paid to write movie reviews and do a movie podcast. So um, <laughs> I, I think the 66% really tells you all you need to know about the movie Three Strikes. It is hilarious for the people that uh, like these kind of movies. And again, if you like Friday, you're going to really love Three Strikes. You're also, And I saw it the day it came out. Uh, and also DJ Pooh's other film, The Wash, starring Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre. That is a really funny movie, too, about mm-hmm. they, uh, run a car wash. Yeah. And um, OK, so the 4.5 stars for the reviewer uh, on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, it says, ow, my ass, man, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. The guy that picks up um, Rob's character and uh, his the car has been stolen, uh, he starts shooting at the police. And Rob runs away. But this guy starts shooting at the police that's stolen this car. The cops shoot him in his ass. And um, when he's being wheeled away, and this is where DJ Pooh is, is great, because a lot of the one of the critical reviews said it seemed like the script was improvised. Not true at all. He does let some of the comedians riff and stuff, but um, his writing is just really that good. As he's being wheeled away, you hear off in the distance this guy going, I'm going to die. I feel like I'm going to die. I feel like I'm dying. <laughs> he's been shot in his ass and he says he feels like he's dying. That is so funny. Watch it. You'll all laugh. You will all laugh. And my favorite part is uh, Brian Hooks is just getting out of jail and he's on the phone with his girlfriend. And there's a guy behind him, another criminal, sweating him to use the phone. He's like, hey, phone check. 
<laughs> you people, I wish you could see me. If you're, he just he puts his finger to his lips like he's he's like he's like fuck you phone check like he's telling the guy I'm playing with my girlfriend. I don't mean fuck you. Don't kill me. It's so good. Brian Hooks is so funny, and I uh, I honestly don't. Uh, the only the only reason why this has a zero is because critics really suck and mm-hmm. they don't understand movies like this. They don't know how to write about movies like this. They don't care about movies like mm-hmm. this and uh therefore i think they were just racking up some of those credits so they can stay in the online film critic society and make movies like uh three strikes look bad and meanwhile dj Pooh hasn't directed another movie since the watch which came out in 2001 i don't really think that's fair i don't really think that's right brian hooks though is an interesting footnote because horror fans listen to astro radio z he made the movie dead tone he was the co-director and co-writer of the slasher movie dead tone and um if you overlooked it, check it out. If you don't want to watch it, I'll tell you how it ends. It's a slasher movie. <laughs> Brian Hooks lives till the end, and he writes himself a fucking Dwayne Jones ending where the cops show up right as he's killing the bad guy, and they shoot him instead. Nice. <laughs> it's pretty fantastic. But anyway, that that uh, I don't know if that was boring to anyone, but I, I, I'm in the minority among cult film fans because I really love the urban comedy genre, and uh, Three Strikes is hilarious. I enjoyed... I want to say thank you uh, to Scott and everybody that want to put this episode together because revisiting Three Strikes made me really happy. I watched it like twice. Yeah, I'm also a fan of the urban comedy genre myself as well. Um, and a lot of the people that are in this are in so many good, funny, funny movies. What was your freshness rating on, on Three Strikes? What would you give your honest freshness rating? Oh, well, you know, it's not as funny as, as uh, the Friday movies, but it is funnier than the average uh, urban comedy um, that, you know, they chewed rent on video or something like that. So I think it deserves at least like a 40, 45, mm-hmm. 45%. That's what I would give it. And that's, that's, that's not being generous. That's being straight up about it. Cool. I think, you know, I had this conversation with someone last week that is in the entertainment business because I am a professional editor uh, by trade. And we were talking about RottenTomatoes.com and the rating system and and how they use it as a barometer for checking out new movies. And I, I found that really interesting. I'm like, well, you do realize it's it's by a bunch of critics that more than likely are more focused and centered on mainstream movies than they are most of the nuanced genre stuff. And they're like, Oh yeah, but you know, it's, it's kind of like, there's so many people that are involved and they, they, so many people put their voice in. I think it's an accurate, accurate representation of all different tastes. And, and I'm like, well, I, I actually feel the opposite because because of the taste of the majority of the people that actually end up, as you said, writing that many reviews, they get on there, they shun uh, most of the genre stuff and most of the stuff that you'll see on this list because they they kind of they need to fill that quota of getting that many reviews in that more than likely the stuff that I like will have 0% or 10% or 20%. Yeah. But, you know, if you're a big fan, I, I say Rotten Tomatoes, use it as that barometer. If you're you're more into Hollywood uh, mass market fare, mm-hmm. if you're looking for more of the genre specific niche type stuff like Three Strikes is, it definitely is a niche type film. It's not for a mass market appeal. I, I, I think Rotten Tomatoes is a horrible place to, to gauge what that film is and and how good it is because it's not yeah, for that every, audience 
Every movie that people are going to be talking about here on the show tonight, you're going to look at it and go like, I have seen way worse stuff. Even mm-hmm. if you haven't seen it, you know there's way worse stuff out there. Rotten Tomatoes is nothing but an aggregator. And when you're talking about aggregating bullshit, all it is is a stack of bullshit. And Three Strikes has 29 critical reviews. And um, it's, you know, basically like, you know, two star, one star, all this stuff. And you go like, none of them even wanted to see this movie. Why did they do it? Mm -hmm. It's so they can write that review and keep that quote up. That's the way it works. Me personally, if I don't like a movie, I don't write about it. I pick something else that I do like. That's just my own thing. It's not going to give me enough credits to get an online film critic society. But I'm going to do this weird thing called sleeping at night. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what's interesting to me, too, is that half the time you click on because you if you go in and you see all the different reviews, you know, you click the button to read more. And half the time, the reviews are like a paragraph long. It's like, really? this is I mean, they didn't even put enough thought into putting more than a paragraph of a thought together. Why are they actually the gauge and barometer for what this film ultimately is going to be rated? I don't know. This, this, the last thing from Box Office Magazine says, uh, the simplistic formula of three strikes relies on sexual humor, flatulence, and references to not-so-current events with the bombardment of mediocre jokes soon growing tiresome and repetitive. I could watch <laughs> – dude, I could watch fart jokes and sexual humor. You know what I'm saying? And all y'all I, just, know. I just fell asleep listening to that description. Exactly. <laughs> What's funnier, the movie or this stupid-ass review? What's more entertaining? God, come on. If you don't mind me saying, the problem I have with Rotten Tomatoes, too, is if you actually read the reviews and what they classify as a fresh or a not fresh review confuses me sometimes oh, because yeah. I'll read a paragraph and label it fresh, and I'm like, it just sounds that paragraph excerpt you gave me sounds like it's panning the hell out of it, yet it's got a fresh rating, and yet one right next to it sounds like it's praising it, and it's still got a, a, a green rating, you know, a, a not so fresh rating. So, again, like you said, with the genre stuff especially, you can't really use it as a gauge. No, it's uh, only reviewers that use a star system of some kind. I don't. I was asked to by my editors years ago. And I ended up dropping it because if you use a star system, the same star system on like three strikes and the same star system on Grand Budapest Hotel, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like totally. you can't it, – it means nothing. And I, I convinced them to stop uh, asking me to do that. But uh, the only way that this is going to you know, even halfway be accurate is if they can aggregate uh, the star ratings and then come up with the rating based on that. Otherwise, it's just arbitrary. Well, yeah, it's it's totally the oversimplification of you know the the viewer just going, okay, can I see, what movies do I want to see this weekend? Let me look at this list. Oh, Lego Movie is ninety six percent. I should see this movie. Or oh, I Frankenstein is four <laughs> percent. I guess I'm not going to see that movie. Um, it, it's just like there's there's no nuance to it, and then you go read the reviews and you you see the blurbs, and really they it's just like half of the blurbs are so ambiguous. They're either super uh, sensational or or they don't they belie what the rate like the like the squish mark, which is the the rotten uh, mark, I guess, or whatever it is, the green mark, and then the the tomato, which is the freshness. Mark, I guess. I, I I mean, sometimes it doesn't coincide with what's being said next to it. Right. So, nah. If you base all your scratched my head about it ever since it's come out. 
Yeah, if you base all your decisions in movie watching based on a Rotten Tomato rating, you deserve the movies that you see, and you don't deserve the ones that you don't. <laughs> right. Right. I absolutely agree. Glenn, you're up next, my friend. What was the movie you chose to defend? My movie was Firewalker. In the proud history of adventure. I stand alive! In the desert, Leo, watch if it does a match. No heroes ever have been more courageous. What is that? How the hell should I know? Matt, shoot it! More faithful. You stupid ant of Jane. More optimistic. We keep sticking our necks out, and sooner or later somebody's gonna chop our heads off. Than Max Donegan and Leo Porter. I need a new plan. No, their friendship faces its greatest challenge. You're getting as bad as that fruitcake girl. Fruitcake? Wow. I'm a fruitcake? A woman of definite charms. You see, I've recently acquired a map, and I'm convinced it leads to a great amount of gold. And dangerous curiosity. I thought priests were supposed to be teetotalers. I thought nuns were supposed to be virgins. But Leo and Max have foiled countless encounters with death. I blame you for this. We're not dead yet. And they'd gladly run any risk. If there's ever time for a plan, it's now, Max. For the thrill of danger. The promise of excitement. And a mountain of treasure. There's gonna be some gold up here. Get your butt. I'm coming, I'm coming. Chuck Norris and Lou Gossett. In Firewalker. Sipping champagne in fine restaurants. Gambling in casinos. Man, I can't wait. I don't remember inviting you. Chuck Norris, Lou Gossett Jr., and Melody yes. Anderson. Yes. If you don't know who Melody Anderson is, go watch Flash Gordon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, we have uh, Chuck Norris playing Max, and Lou Gossett Jr. is his buddy Leo. And this movie is basically it's an Indiana Jones ripoff is what uh, it is. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. their, you know, their little adventures, and they're trying to find this with... Melody Wilson hires him to track down this Aztec, Mayan, Egyptian, Spanish, <laughs> Apache treasure. Uh, and they're being hounded by this guy who's called the Cyclops. He's also uh, the Coyote. He's this Apache. Uh, he's the villain, played by uh, Will Sampson, who played uh, the chief in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So, I mean, it's got a great cast. He's also, you also have uh, John Rice davies has a little bit role in here, too. Mm-hmm. It's a guy named Corky. Is it a good movie? No, but it's a fun movie. I you got I think great chemistry between Norris and Lou Gossett Jr. Just the, the they're constantly bickering. They're like an old married couple, always insulting and always picking on each other and insulting each other. But you can tell that they're great friends, and it really comes across in the movie. Plus, I mean, you get at least five slow motion Chuck Norris kicks. <laughs> um, you, get, you get Chuck Norris taking out an entire bar full of Mexican stereotypes. <laughs> and it's just, you're you know, describing it's, just about every Chuck Norris movie that <laughs> been in. Honestly, if you're gonna if you're gonna go into a Chuck Norris movie and expect it to be the most highbrow thing you've ever seen in your life, you're in for a rude awakening. Honestly, Louis oh, Gossett Jr. is one of my favorite act. I always love him in everything that he's in. Dude, Alien uh, uh, Enemy Mine, right? Enemy yeah. Mine. I mean, seriously, the guy a guy always elevates everything that he's in. Same 
same way I feel about Henry Silva, like we talked about before, Lewis Gatz Jr. is kind of the same thing to me. It's just like I every time he's in a movie, I'm like, oh, cool, he's in this. And Chuck Norris, well, you're going to get roundhouse kicks. You're going to get a dude looking stern at everybody and and uh, fighting for the everyman and all this stuff. Why? Why? Why you can't get overly critical about a film like Firewalker? You you just no, can't. No, and and most of the of the critics, uh, there's only ten critic reviews of this, but a fair number of them criticize Chuck Norris's acting ability, and I'm like, you really? went in here ex- expecting him to all of a sudden like <laughs> elevate himself? <laughs> no, well, Invasion USA was quite a highbrow picture. I mean, yeah, really. Is that the one with the bazooka where the guy goes through the window or whatever? Yes, yes, yes. yes. That's rad, man. I remember when Firewalker <laughs> came out, man. That was a that was a cool movie. It was or is, yeah. They did they promoted it too a lot too. I mean, they really pushed that film. Mm-hmm. I remember as well. There were ads always on the TV because we didn't have internet for our trailers. So, well, that was one that was very prevalent in the VHS video stores as mm-hmm. well. I mean, yeah. I still have my copy on VHS. You could find that thing everywhere. So that I mean, I I have a feeling you know it became one of these cult movies well, well after the fact. But the critical reaction is you know especially with the older films the stuff on rotten tomatoes a lot of it is kind of you know a lot of those old reviews that are up there that uh you know of course it's a brainless actioner you know i mean most critics hate that kind of stuff across the board yeah they think they're they think they're above movies like that and movies like the you know the like pretty much all the ones that we're talking about you know, uh, they just they don't seem to know how to converse about them. They don't seem to know how to put them in the proper context. It's like the brain you use as a as a film critic, when you go to see, um, you know, a foreign movie like a separation is not the brain that you use when you go out to see the Lego movie. It's mm-hmm. just you can't you're not supposed to be weighing those kinds of movies against one another. You know, weigh your expectations, fine. But do seriously, did anybody that went in to see Firewalker were they expecting uh, to see Amadeus? It's it's stupid. Yeah. The the one criticism I could make about it is that for a movie with Chuck Norris, there aren't enough roundhouse kicks. <laughs> <laughs> He's not ripping off the chest hair of enough people in this movie. Yeah, right. and well, I mean, I mean, that's that's. That's fair. I, I could say that I, I went in to see Three Strikes hoping it would be make me laugh as much as Friday did. And if it didn't make me laugh at all, then that would be, you know what I'm saying? So the, yeah. the roundhouse, we'll all say the Chuck Norris roundhouse thing. You know, that's a valid argument. But that I isn't agree. any of the criticism anyone gave. They, they, they complained about Chuck Norris and how he delivers his lines and how it's just an Indiana Jones ripoff. I'm like, well, you know, there's there's plenty of movies that are that are rips uh, riffs off other movies. That's I mean. How many truly original ideas are out there? How many don't have something in common with something else? And to say that this is just an Indian Jones, this is like it's it's a comedy. It's an action comedy. I mean, uh, it's it's completely yeah. different than just well. It's got our, they're archaeologists, you know, they're like rogue archaeologists. It's like they're treasure hunters, you know. To say it's just an Indian Jones copy is, I think, it's a cheap way out. Like I said before, you just can't hold this in the same regard as you can most other movies. I mean, Chuck Norris built a career off of being that kind of charming everyman, you know, kind of that stoic man's man that that kicked ass for the right reasons and then came out, you know, the victor in obviously people loved it 
Otherwise, also, he wouldn't have had this huge career. Were there any black people in Indiana Jones? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There's a reason right there to make Luke yes. Jr. Come on, man. There was you that know? one guy on the boat who points out him on the sub. I know where he is. There. Yeah, but he went yeah. in Iron Eagle one through twelve though. Exactly. <laughs> his, his only Eagle. other his only other role was was playing uh, high. That guy in uh, Top Secret. Oh yes. right. Oh was yeah. he was he chocolate moose? Gasoline. Chocolate <laughs> Gasoline. <laughs> Dude, that's such a good reference. That that made my night right there, man. <laughs> Love Top Secret. That's so cool. That's a great one. Glenn, when all is said and done, all the hijinks aside, Roundhouse kicks to the face, and Louis Gossett Jr. being a charming motherfucker, what would you give <laughs> for the freshness rating of Firewalker? I would probably go about a 42%. That's fair. See, the thing is, yeah. you know, we, we're all defending these movies, but we're still giving them fairly low freshness ratings. Because yeah. I, I think there's, there's a difference between a film being a great film and a film being an enjoyable film. Mm-hmm. I think a film being an enjoyable film sometimes far outweighs the need to have it be a great film. Well, when we see a zero, we, we, we equate that with abject failure. Yes. And none of, none of these movies are, I would consider an abject failure, you know, uh, you know, Firewalker is cool. A lot of people probably got that taped somewhere, you know, yeah. watched it on cable and thought, Hey, oh, cool. God, it was, um, Right, I, I, I like Kroll. I like Beastmaster. I, I like Firewalker. They're all yeah. in the same tape, EP mode. I Firewalker do have all of those on the hour loop. Twenty-four hour loop on Showtime for like a whole year, practically. Yeah, yeah, it was constantly on Showtime. I remember that. They, that was like a staple. It's like, yeah. what are you gonna fill this time slot? What are we gonna do? Ah, put Firewalker in. That was that was Firewalker. that's what that's what Showtime existed for back in those days. For, <laughs> it was for showing movies like Firewalker and, and Kroll. Kroll. Because HBO got all the really big blockbusters, and Showtime got everything else that didn't have tits, because that all went to Cinemax. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. That explains a lot. We didn't have HBO. We had Cinemax. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this list is is confounding to me, because, I mean, yeah, 0%, like you said, it, it means absolute failure. and. Nowhere on this list do I see Witchcraft 9, which is an absolute <laughs> abject failure. Speaking of... <laughs> Dude, no. I'm sorry, Brian. It's <laughs> Ghost with a Hooker! Hey, what I tell you, man, you and Brian just need to do one show... That's like like an like an appendix of uh, of the witchcraft series, and just go at it about part nine. I don't you know. No, y'all done. didn't even give Brian a chance to really defend it on that thing, man. You started talking over him when he started to say what he, you know, he started to defend himself about it. I just want to know. <laughs> Do you really have anything more to say about witchcraft nine? I I, I really don't. Probably. <laughs> He's like, it's over now. That ship has sailed. It, it is long gone. Well, let's. Let's talk about happier things, Brian. What were what was the movie that you picked on this list to defend? You know, I actually watched a couple because um, I thought they kind of went hand in hand. Amityville 3D and Jaws: The Revenge, mm-hmm. just being like really wildly unanimously reviled sequels to popular series. But I have to say, the one I really honestly love is Jaws: The Revenge. Instinctively, man has always been drawn to the sea. It's beauty, it's mystery, it's secrets, 
is also a vague uncertainty, a sense of intrusion into an alien world where man is unwelcome and completely at the mercy of the most terrifying predator on Earth. Man's deepest fear has risen again. Jaws, the revenge. This time, it's personal. I, I love uh, animals attack films. I grew up on them, you know, uh, Day of the Animals and the television film Ants and Orca and all that stuff. And um, uh, I just really love Jaws of Revenge. I think it's it, it kind of picks up the story of the Brody family, you know, years after the first attack. One of the big things I love is that it focuses on the mother, uh, Lorraine Gary. She's a woman, she's 50 years old when she made the film, came out of retirement, and it's an action adventure horror riff that focuses on a 50-year-old woman, a mother of two, you know, grown children, um, her romance with uh, you know, kind of a vagabond you know, ne'er-do-well, played by Michael Caine. She's, it focuses on a woman in an action-adventure film, and particularly in that era. I can't think of any other film that, you know, did that. I think, you know, years later, like The River Wild with Meryl Streep came out, but she was even younger than, you know, Lorraine Gary was when Jaws of Revenge came out. So I just think it's fun. You, you know, I, I, I've looked at it and watched it a number of times, and I've tried to figure out why people hate it so much. Like, like we've all said, these aren't great, great films, but I just think it's a fun film the, the the shark comes back to take revenge on the brody family and which is ridiculous but you know if you like that type of film awesome uh, he kills the youngest son in which i think is a really kind of an intense scene um in the beginning uh the the, the second oldest son um is in the bahamas doing you know kind of marine research and biology and yeah. Uh, the mother's convinced, Loring Area is convinced that the shark is out to get her kids and kind of goes on the, the war path trying to hunt the shark down. And I just I, th- I think there are some fun attack scenes as a theater critic. I just love the fact that Joseph uh, Sargent, who directed it, cast some really just amazing actors. I, I mean, Loring Gary was yeah. a best actress at Pasadena Playhouse and a lifetime member of the Actors Studio. And she's got a you know just a f- Fun, lighthearted scenes with Michael Caine as they romance each other. The second eldest son is played by Lance Guest, who's got a great, has had a great theater career. And from people I've interviewed, really took his film work seriously. And I think it shows even in something like this. He just did the Melendio Quartet. They cast opposite him as his wife, the sculptress Karen Young, who I think was one of the most interesting looking and interesting actors of that era as well. Um, so there was just some really cool like acting choices like uh, with the actors in this. And I just think it's kind of fun, you, you know, uh, so. You're missing out on one one of the big actors in the film, uh, Mario Van Peebles. Peebles. Yeah, Rasta help in that. And Rasta and Lynn Whitfield, who's also very very well respected, is his. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I I mean, they're they're supporting characters as well. So yeah, I mean, the cast is pretty awesome. Um, and I don't think there are one. Speaking of Mario Van Peebles, and I've tried to look at the special effects. There is the scene where his character gets chomped on by the shark and is pulled underwater. 
and yeah. it kind of doesn't look like him. I mean, as he's being pulled down, <laughs> um, and it's a long shot too. You know, I was like, well, wait a minute. But I, I know it got Razzie Awards for worst special effects, or was at least nominated, and and all that kind of stuff. And I, I couldn't, you know, I thought some of the shark attacks were pretty fucking scary and pretty cool. I mean, a big beast like that hopping out of the water and chomping onto people—that shit would freak me out in real life. You know, just the thought of that happening. And it just happened this weekend, you know, July 4th weekend, there was a shark attack. So, yeah, yeah. it's true. Yeah, it's I, you true. know, I, I just don't, yeah, I, I just don't get why it's so, you know. I can under, I, for me, it was just what Jaws 4 was the He Man sound when the shark gets skewered. That, that, that one got me a little. Uh, but other than that, no, I can see your point, though, Brian. You make a good I, argument for the, for the movie. You do. I mean, there is a lot of great people in it. All the Jaws sequels, you know, they're yeah. unfairly maligned movies yeah. because Jaws 1 is so iconic. Uh-huh. And, you know, people just don't – they can't look at them as movies themselves and nope. judge them on their own merit. It's all weighed against Jaws 1, which none of those other movies were really necessarily trying to be. And if no. you're the guy that's got to make Jaws 2, Jaws 3, Jaws 4, you just like make it as good as you can and make it good on its own. And uh, people can't kind of can't look at that. And it's just like, oh, another Jaws is out. They say the same thing about Friday the 13th sequels. But, yeah. you know, we all know it's all about Jason Lives. 100%. I have a certain fondness for Jaws for the revenge because there is a – and you are not going to be able to find it most likely, but there's a – parody film made of this by uh, I don't know if any of you are familiar with Rob Schraub Gums? Rob Schraub he did a, he did a comic called Scud and he's he's like a second unit director guy on like Zoolander he was a director for uh, Sarah Silverman show and he's a writer and director on uh, Community and his good friend Dan Harmon the creator of Community and they used to do this thing where their friends they would pick a movie that none of them had seen and they would have a party where each of them would make a short film of what they thought the movie was about and they would show everyone's movies, and then they would watch the actual movie. <laughs> and Rob's Rob's version of Jaws four. Michael Caine and uh, a woman he's romancing are played by an uh, an orange and a lemon on like a little. He made like a little paper boat that they're on. Yes, they're like yeah, orange yeah. and lemon on sticks. Jaws, and, and they actually refer to it as Jaws four. Um, <laughs> I have seen this. You have seen this. Okay. Yes, I have seen this. The shark is played. By Rob's penis with a fin duct taped to it. (laughs) (laughs) The only reason I initially saw it because I was I I used to live with Rob's younger brother, and Rob just mailed this to him one day and said, "Hey, watch the watch this." It was called the One Man Party Tape, and that was one of the videos on there. Yeah. We first watched it, and all of a sudden we're like, "There's the shark!" And all of a sudden it's like, "It's like what the?" (laughs) That's that's his penis, and I have a fondness because it. Because you like penises, I love penises, <laughs> and, and there's so much of the movie where it's it's so fun to. It's one of those ones where it's it's laughable, but it, it's laughable to the point that you can enjoy it too. Like the fact that <laughs> the shark, they they're like, oh, we should go to my son in the Bahamas, and somehow the shark knows this and gets there faster than the plane. Yeah, this this is one of those films like what we had discussed in like the bad movie culture episode and what you guys discussed yep. on Mark's spoiler room episode on uh, good bad films uh, is that, you know what? Bad films can be 
very enjoyable. One of the uh, reviews on the Rotten Tomatoes uh, website for Jaws 4, literally it's a rotten rating, of course, because it's 0%. All it says is, it's amazing. That's it. (laughs) Seriously. You can love bad films. So to give it a horrible rating on a website and you still really enjoyed it, I think really belies what your true emotions on the film were because I'm like Andrew says a lot on his, on the cinemaphile podcast is that I really don't think there is such a thing as a guilty pleasure. I think if, if there's, you like something in some capacity, it's, it's your, your need to like fit in that gives you that, that, that need to say that you have a guilty pleasure because most people don't like it. I think that's bullshit. If you like something, you like something and it, 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 you should never have to say that it's a guilty pleasure. If you enjoy Jaws four, it's a good movie. Let's just, yeah, sure. It was made. It looks like a piece of shit. It, it it's it's got illogical things that happen in it, and uh, the script is a complete sham. But did you enjoy yourself? Did you have a good time? Yes. If the answer is yes, then it was a good movie. That's that. Those are my thoughts on just about anything that I ever watch. Is that yeah. It, it, it sounds like freaking a bunch of apes pounded on a goddamn keyboard and came up with the script and handed it to my three-year-old daughter who has no idea the concept of using a camera and decided to to make a movie. But I smiled and laughed through the whole thing. So it's got to be good, right? <laughs> I thought I thought when he talked about the Jaws parody for real, I thought it was that movie Gums from the seventies that the guy from Cannibal Holocaust is in, like about the the mermaid that gives blowjobs and kills people. <laughs> it's like a dick washes up on the shore in one part, and you know, that's what I thought he was saying. It, it's actually well now I gotta look up that movie. Great. Yeah, Thanks. Gums is the name of it. <laughs> that's a good pick though, Brian. I. I... Jaws four definitely. You, you you do make a good argument. It makes me want to watch it again now. Because no, I, when I saw that list, I saw a lot of movies that I like. I was actually tough to choose one, but I figured Three Strikes is the one that no one else would want yeah. <laughs> from this group. <laughs> you know, there was one person that couldn't be on the episode tonight. One person actually sent in uh, a recorded pre-recorded response. Seth Poland of CelluloidTaylor.com. He sent in a little blurb that will play right now about his love for Return of the Living Dead Part 2. I've come to the defense of Return of the Living Dead Part 2, the 1988 zombie comedy made three years after the original classic that everybody loves. It has worldwide success, recognition, and it's always among people's favorite zombie movies. Part 2 gets unfairly thrown in the garbage. Uh, It gets... Occasionally, someone will say they like it, but it never gets the respect I feel it deserves. Uh, It was written and directed by Ken Wiederhorn, who was previously the writer and director of Shockwaves, the Nazi zombie film, and uh, did a few episodes of Freddy's Nightmares, the uh, TV series that has never surfaced on home video, or I guess DVD. But Wiederhorn wrote this comedy, and I think it was uh, almost his Evil Dead 2 to the Return of the Living Dead series, not in that he made it funnier, but it's just, it's a love letter to the first and uh, pays all sorts of respect to the first while being essentially the same film almost. Uh, It brings back Tom Matthews and James Karen in 
uh, similar roles where they work together as boss and apprentice, this time not in a medical warehouse, but as grave robbers stealing skulls that have to be interred because they're not honest if they sell a skull that was never in the ground and stealing jewelry off the dead and things like that. Those two are just absolutely hilarious together in both films, but I think uh, they're kind of hating each other in part two is even better than the respect they show each other in part one. The punks from the first film are kind of replaced with punk kids in the second one. Uh, they stumble upon the canister of 245 trioxin and kids will be kids. They just, you know, bust it open because the army can't make a secure canister. But uh, the punk kids bust it open. They inhale the fumes and uh, the gases lead into the neighboring cemetery and uh, up come the dead. It really is the same movie over again, like I said. Uh, it even has a cameo from a new tar man, which uh, it's cheap. You know, it's kind of a, hey, look, you know, we're in the same series as this awesome classic movie, but it's the tar man. Can you really hate him that much? No, he's fucking awesome. It's the tar man. He's just a cool character and I'm not mad they brought him back in like the cameo role that he's in uh, is the really the first zombie you see. It's that's what it is. It's just a lot of fun. It's slapstick. It's one-liners. It's a lot of gore and gross-out comedy, and uh, it's a cheesy '80s horror film. It's got a Michael Jackson zombie in it. I mean, how seriously do you have to be taking Return of the Living Dead too to not get any enjoyment out of it? It's silly as hell. Yeah, it's full of plot holes that are just completely brushed aside. But uh, at the end of the day, it's a cheesy 80s zombie movie called Return of the Living Dead Part 2. The first one was full of punk kids running around a cemetery, one of them running around butt-ass naked. I mean, you know, it's, it's a very worthy follow-up to the original film. And I understand that classic films will always be held, you know, on a pedestal, but this is one of the better part twos, I think, for one of those classic films. I mean, it's not as fun as the first, I won't pretend that it is, but it's a damn entertaining film, and I think it deserves another chance if you haven't given it a chance in a while. Don't go watching it, you know, expecting art or, you know, social commentary. Get a six-pack or a handle of... A handle, you might not make it through. Just get some booze, get some friends, and get ready to laugh and have fun. I mean, that's really all it's there for, and I think they did a good job at it. So, Return of the Living Dead Part 2, it deserves your attention and a second chance if you don't like it. I actually like Return of the Living Dead Part 2. Um, I had it on uh, VHS for a very, very long time, and to this day, and, and this is something that just happened to me in the last like three or four months. I had to edit a piece for somebody that I know and uh, they wanted to use some footage from uh, Return of the Living Dead. And I, in fact, do not own a copy of Return of the Living Dead, but I do own a copy of Return of the Living Dead 2 on VHS. And I was downright goddamn shocked. My wife's like, what? 
you don't have that movie? I'm like, no, but I do have Return of the Living Dead 2. I've always really liked it. Not saying that it's a better movie than Return of the Living Dead 1, but Return of the Living Dead 2 to me is kind of like, you know, Evil Dead 1 and Evil Dead 2, where it's essentially just a remake uh, told from a, a different angle. Now, I'll say this about part two. I've seen a work print that's got completely different music in it, and I did enjoy that one a little bit more. What was the music like? What kind of music did they have in it? I don't know. It just it seemed uh, it was kind of scarier, you know, less comedic. It was actually a scarier experience to watch it that way. Uh, I forget who I got it from, but it was a friend who was trying to convince me to get on the, the Return of Living Dead 2 gravy train. But I just part one is just uh, it's one of my top five of all time. So I, it's I so can't, perfect. It's such it a is, well really. It just is. Anyone else want to chime in on Return of the Living Dead too? Uh, I enjoy it, and I love Suzanne Snyder, which is always a uh, who's the girlfriend in that. Um, uh, so uh, that always, you know, kind of sways me a bit. If I really like the people in the movie, I tend to like it a tiny bit more. She's awesome. Who- Have you seen this thing called Pretty Kill? Mm-mm. Uh, I made her sign a Return of the Living Dead, Dead two headshot where she's got her mouth kind of agape. Um, and, and I made her write, what do you mean you haven't seen Pretty Kill? But she plays this psychotic <laughs> prostitute, young prostitute, who is taken under by Susan Hubley and Susanna York in, into the fold. And it turns out she's like this crazy chick who was abused as a child and goes around killing people. I fucking love it. And and she's pretty awesome, Suzanne Snyder. She, she goes balls out. It's, it's one of those – didn't you know. the guy who got kicked off of the special effects for Return of the Living Dead 1 do the special effects for Part 2? Like, cause he got kicked off of Part 1 because he sucked? So I've got that I mean, huge documentary. So it, it, yeah, me too. Familiar. I still haven't seen that one yet. It's so good. More Brains is the name of it. It's yeah. awesome. I've been meaning to see that one for a while. But to, to wrap it up on Return of the Living Dead 2, I've I've always been partial to it. I Obviously, the first one is much better. And part three, it blows it out of the water. Part three is hey, three Brian rules, Usna. Man. Yeah, you got Brian Usna. You got super sexy zombie chicks. You got amazing gore. Part three is in a league of its own because it, it really is. It separates and deviates from the path of what the first two movies were. But as an enjoyable B-film... I think Return of the Living Dead 2 doesn't deserve a 0% rating. If I were to give an honest rating, I, w- I would say it's more around the realm of like a 45%. That's just me. I, I personally think if you're a fan of part one, even though Andrew will dispute me on this one, I think there is something to enjoy in this film because it has the same lead characters, which I think they're they're a good combo. Uh, those two actors, Tom Matthews and um, what's the other gentleman's name? Um James Karen? Yes. Yeah, I think they I think they both play well together against each other. I always I've enjoyed, you know, watching those two in both of the films. So um yeah, I, I would check it out. I give a thumbs up on that one. <laughs> no, it's just like, oh, you know what? Instead of all the Linnea Quigley's naked ass, let's have a little kid in it. God, yeah, let's that. have a bunch of little kids and uh Yeah. Dude, he's selling that shit. He's at the cons charging that that kid. Oh, everyone is, man. I know, I know. Mildly in anything, you're you're at the con selling. I think he's also the kid in the Blob remake too. Yeah, I love the Blob remake. Yeah, that's awesome. But uh, yeah, I was just like, man, if I bumped into you in the street and knew who you were, I would love for you to, you know, sign, you know, the grocery paper ad uh, that I pick up (laughs) off the, you know. the corner you know but 20 bucks i don't know oh, man. <laughs> it's, it's somebody scary. pays the amount of money 
Somebody will pay it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah and yeah, they yeah. do. Otherwise, these people wouldn't keep going to these conventions and doing this shit. Yeah. yeah. If, if mom will, his mom would play, play like she's a fan and be like, 20 bucks? That sounds really reasonable. Can I have <laughs> a autograph? Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> or two. The, then the sheep starts I coming around the table. I love movies. Brian, if it makes you feel better, according to Rotten Tomatoes, there's no reviews from actual critics, but the audience gave it a 31% uh, uh, rating. So, so there you go. Jaws Revenge. No, Witchcraft Nine. For, oh, witchcraft nine. Oh, oh Jesus oh, Christ! We're back like, on goddamn witchcraft nine. <laughs> That's Mark. My love for that film's gonna haunt me for the rest. Mark's a movie man. I thought you were on my side, my friend. <laughs> you just, you <laughs> just that that was a dagger movie. hanging out my back. I can't even reach it. It's it just right all over his, me. That chick should have been rating? swimming in cash too. She was doing what? She did twenty clients and something about twenty dudes a night. God, it's the inside joke of everything. <laughs> yeah, the inside joke is what do you think those strawberries smelled like? Dude, <laughs> Witchcraft 9 starts going for 100 bucks on eBay <laughs> just because of the podcast. Well, Jaws 4 from the audience has a 13% rating, so there you go. I don't know. Did, did Brian give his rating for Jaws? Yeah, Ford? Brian, no, what would you give your honest uh, freshness rating for this? Wow, because um, I, I, I honestly just love that type of film, and I do. Um, even though I was looking at the cinematography and the colors. I mean, they. I don't know if they filmed it in the Bahamas. I should have probably researched that, but it's just so gorgeous. Um, yeah. The the that film. I um, the director of photography uh, was John McPherson, and I just think it was some amazing stuff. I I would maybe do fifty. You know, I, I I just love that type of like animal on the attack film, and uh, I just love the performances and the fact that it was you know highlighted by a woman of a certain age, and yeah, that so, is cool. I, I think that I would have to be cool. honest. Mm-hmm. That, that's very to, cool. I, I, I'm tempted to give it more actually, but you know, I think that's I, I aware it's not like I know brilliant you know well, Shakespearean like said, aqua es- escapades. So well, like we said before, is I I I think Andrew put it well is that when you put it against the original film, I mean, there's very few films that are going to rank up, especially if you were just going to take shark movies. There's very few films that can rank up against that film because it's got a high quality cast. It's it's directed by one of you know the greatest blockbuster directors of all time. Even though I particularly don't really dig a lot of his movies, but I mean, it's just one of those movies. It created the blockbuster movie for Christ's sake. Yeah. So to to say a movie like Jaws four who that had like a fraction of the budget that the original did that that it should compare to it is just ludicrous. It's just absolutely and, and and Michael Caine doesn't do bad movies. No, no, it's Michael Caine for crying out loud. It's, yes, yeah. Really, I will say, Brian, actor in the world. <laughs> Brian, I will say you've actually you, you have made me want to revisit that film, oh. uh, Jaws Four. I, I will say because uh, I've been harsh on it for many years, but uh, after hearing you talk about it, it you made made me want to reapproach this film again. So. All right, and if I get the the delivery of 12 rusty razor blade roses i'll know that <laughs> <laughs> i destroyed an hour and a half of your life 
<laughs> oh, no, not at all. No, <laughs> you're going to get the, a delivery of 12 VHS copies of Warcraft yeah. 9. <laughs> well, Which it'll go equals with my VHS on eBay. Cause the Revenge because it's got this go. awesome cover art of this woman like fighting down the shark. Yes. So I actually got the VHS copy like hanging up yeah. on, on my little bookcase here. As, as a kind of a side note, Derek, if you don't mind me interjecting. Uh, Sharknado. Sharknado. <clears throat> oh Jesus Christ! No, no, no. The reason I do the reason I bring it up is because this is like the benchmark for popular folks to think they like B movies. The Tomato Meter. Now this blows me away. The critics for Rotten Tomatoes gave it an eighty-two percent, but audience members gave it thirty-five percent. So it's actually a switch from the movies that we've been talking about tonight where the critics haven't reviewed it or gave it zero and the audience liked it here we have a movie that's really bad yet the critics who panned other stuff loved sharknado and i'll watch jaws 4 you know i I, i'm gonna revisit uh, jaws 4 again before i watch sharknado again Agreed, one hundred percent. Even though I enjoyed Sharknado because you know it was a fun, stupid movie, it was. I watched Jaws: The Revenge way before I ever watched Sharknado again, and that just proves you just proved what bullshit RottenTomato.com really is. It's it's not any gauge for anything. I think it's just you know if you're into reading reviews, you go there and you know have a little fun seeing what other people thought of the films. I would not use it as a barometer for for what you should and shouldn't watch. But I'm also a different kind of film viewer that mm-hmm. doesn't need this kind of bullshit to to send me off to to watch films. It's ingrained itself because it got enough uh, buzz and popularity as the internet was booming it established itself early and and that's why it's now it's out there and it's a thing i really think is is because it just it was a gauge when there was really no gauge at the time the internet was out and so then it it managed to bury you know dig itself into mainstream movie watching culture and that's why now it is that gauge that a lot of people go to because it's been around for so long not necessarily because it's a good gauge but just because it's been around for so long (laughs) <laughs> right. Know, well, it's uh, it's established kind of like IMDb, which we all know the the star ratings on IMDb is a complete farce and and total bullshit and and don't mean a single goddamn fucking thing. I kind of uh, I kind of link the freshness meter with the same thing with uh, the IMDb scale of rating. Um, it it just ah, it, it's total <laughs> bullshit. Always err on the side of your own judgment. And whether if you're a fan of of specific genres, go with your gut and don't sit and listen to what all this stuff is, because the movie I'm going to pick, nobody likes. And it, I've I've never ever met other people that that like this movie uh, the way that the way that I do. And um, the movie I'm going to pick is Imagine. Let's let's close our eyes, folks. Close our eyes. Okay. Go into a Zen state. And imagine, what if Rocky Four were really about a dancer who's trying to make it in Broadway? <laughs> the film I am talking about, folks, is Staying Alive, the sequel to Saturday Night Fever that was directed 
by Sylvester Stallone in 1983, starring John Travolta as Tony Monero. He's back, folks, after his stint, you know, trying to get out of the ghettos of New York by becoming the disco dance sensation. Saturday Night Fever is I think, honestly, an amazing film, um, a very heavy film. I think most people just think that the only thing that it is is, is a film about John Travolta dancing, and it, it really isn't. It's, it's a much heavier uh, drama than that. Staying Alive, though, is is just about one of the most ridiculous movies you're ever going to see <laughs> in your entire life. It has more montages per capita than just about every any film I've ever seen in my whole life. That's why the the link between this and and Rocky 4, that's why I made that reference is because a good 50% of this movie is musical montage. And a lot of it is set to either Bee Gees music. They were able to get the Bee Gees back and uh, do some fairly decent songs for it. And also Frank Stallone, who did a lot of the great, you know, hearts on fire and all that bullshit for, for Rocky Fork. He's back writing some quality ass music for staying alive. And uh, <laughs> so what is what is exactly staying alive? John Travolta, Tony Monero, after, you know, getting out of the slums in New York, um, straightens himself out, uh, decides to become a dance instructor. And he's trying to make it in, uh, you know, the dance community in New York and trying to get into Broadway shows. And he's a complete womanizer. And he's getting he's fighting between trying to you know play the field and uh this one dancer girl who's actually kind of a bit uh player in a lot of uh broadway shows she loves him and he they have a relationship together but he keeps trying to find the the better thing and uh he goes to try out for this uh, this show called satan's alley and he he meets up with this actor uh fiona hughes who uh, is John Travolta, basically <laughs> a charming Rambo character, just always shirtless. Always, it's just seriously one of the funniest movies. I, I, I just rewatched it again after not seeing it for many, many years. And uh, my wife, Tammy, who you all know from the DNT episodes, she could not take her eyes off of this movie. I popped in the, the uh, VHS. She had never seen it before. And she she was looking at me like she couldn't believe what she was watching. And she was laughing and having a good time. It is overtly dramatic. John Travolta, when he's on his game and at the time that he was this movie was made, is a really charming individual mm-hmm. to sit and watch. And he, it, this was just one of those films where he carried this fucking film, even though his <laughs> character is a complete slime ball, just an absolute slime ball. You, you shouldn't root for him whatsoever, but uh, he ends up getting into this uh, the, in the, in the movie, he ends up becoming the lead in this Broadway show that the last 20 minutes of this movie is the Broadway show and they set it up almost like I said, like Rocky, where there has to be a conflict because uh, the lead dancer, Finola Hughes, I'm sorry, I mispronounced that before. They had some relationship and they were they weren't in a relationship anymore and they're kind of like fighting each other. And there's a (laughs) <laughs> we're, we're all of a sudden after the first act because there's no singing, no nothing. It's a Broadway show of just pure undulating dance. 
just pure 80s they're in leotards and he's in like this jungle outfit sweating and people there's fire and it's the most ridiculous air metal you ever heard and 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 there's there's this fight she scratches him because he kisses her when he's not supposed to on stage and breaks character you the, the director comes out and he's like you don't screw up my thing you do what I tell you to! Don't ruin this! Like, there's got to be some conflict going on. And they go out there, of course, it's an amazing show, and blah, 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 blah. But uh, it is absolutely one of the most ridiculous things. Um, honestly, if I were to say that... <laughs> is it a movie I would normally watch? No, because most of it is is kind of this drama um, about Broadway dancing and it's uber serious and uber dramatic and uh even though it's just completely overwrought and ridiculous kind of it's kind of soap soap opera-ish this movie growing up was the reason i came to to like it and uh, and watch it so much was that my parents used to tape hbo in cinemax and let tapes run and this movie was on one of my parents' tapes, smack dab in the middle, in between other movies that I liked. And inevitably, I would let the tape run, and we'd end up watching this, waiting for the (laughs) next movie to start. And we had done this so many times that I literally (laughs) became, my brother and I, Shane, just started loving watching this movie. If you're a fan of so bad it's good cinema staying alive is just it's one of the best i mean you don't need films like the room or sharknado when you have something as quality and hilarious as staying alive honestly i don't think it deserves a zero percent rating i think john travolta is good enough in it that you should be able to sit and watch i mean the last 20 minutes alone the dance the broadway uh spectacle that he ends up uh putting on is it is up there for climaxes, ridiculous climaxes with rock and roll nightmare with ro- <laughs> with Thor's cod piece, you know, rubber monsters fighting a, a stick monster. It is up there with that. Um, it needs to be seen. It is absolutely downright hilarious. So, has anyone else on this panel ever seen Staying Alive? Oh yep. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I also I, I'd have to say people from like our generation, Derek, and maybe a little older. You just play that 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 opening scene, the opening scene there, where with the music and him, his feet on the sidewalk walking. Yeah. yeah. People people will instantly know what movie it is. Yep. <laughs> and I mean, that there tells me that enough people have seen it and remember it enough that I think a zero is ridiculous. I, I didn't see Staying Alive, but I, I remember it, uh, it coming out and it being like a huge hit movie. Was it like, wasn't it a, a pretty good box office success? I mean, I, um, I think it was a popular. I know that it was fairly reviled critically. Obviously here, I mean, it's Not a zero percent of... freshness rating, but but box office, um, that's a good question. I mean, it you'd almost think because of the built-in audience from Saturday Night Fever that it would it would have to be. Well, and plus, it, 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 it was Stallone as director. I mean, the Rocky sequels he made 
um, did really well, and that's probably why he got picked to do the the Staying Alive it, sequel. It did get it did yes. make uh, three times the budget. Yep, sixty three million dollars it made. Yeah, it was. Year. I remember it being a pretty high profile mm-hmm. uh, movie. Oh, it was one of those ones that got a lot of people in the seat in the theater. So uh, mainly 12, because 12 of twelve million dollars, it's opening weekend. Yeah, dude. Well, that shows you how how big Saturday Night Fever was, right? And John Travolta at that time was making a ton of movies, and he was a huge box office draw. So I mean, really, Saturday Night Fever. And him coming back to it, even though this movie tonally is nothing like Saturday Night Fever. Nothing. This is gratuitous 80s nonsense. uh, But really, it's super, super ridiculous fun. Um, Brian, have you ever seen this flick? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Much later, though. I I mean, I remember when it came out. um, I remember... uh, it did being, you know, just hyped to the gills and everyone thinking it was going to be this amazing film. And then, like you said, it just was ripped apart critically. But I, I literally just um, watched it maybe between the last five years or so. I think I watched it. And it is. It's just ridiculous. And as a gay man, I mean, Travolta's body is fucking. He's cut. insane in this. Yeah. Insane. <laughs> And I fucking love Finola Hughes. I mean, she's a huge soap opera actress in General Hospital and all my children. But she's done a bunch of uh, Dark Side of Genius and some – there were some some things. uh, There was a submarine hijack flick with uh, James Coburn that she did. So she's she's done some cool B-movies too. Um, But yeah, but the thing that I remember the most is – and I thought it was just fucking hilarious was the end where everything's resolved and he's triumphant and he just starts strutting down the street yep. to the, to the, to the theme song. I just thought that was fucking hilarious. Uh, yep. And that's the, the thing that stands out to me the most in the film is that there's ending moments and uh, yeah, it's just over the top and crazy and cheesy. And, you know, just like you said, everything that a good, bad film should be. Yeah, absolutely. That that the final moments were so Im- burned into my skull when I was a young kid. This movie shaped me far more than a lot of the horror movies that I really claim to, you know, being some of the greatest movies I've ever because that final scene where, you know, he's just become this this huge he had this huge opening on Broadway and and uh, everyone's, you know, oh, you did it. You made it. And his girlfriend comes over and gives him a kiss. And then the, the his opposite lead, who was, you know, fuming, like telling him he was worthless and he couldn't do it, comes over and sees him and kind of gives him a I guess he kind of did it. <laughs> and he just turns to his girlfriend and goes and goes. What I want to do? What? You know what I want to do? What? Strut. And then he he, he, <laughs> he just busts the door open and leaves uh, her and just starts strutting down the middle. Yes. Does he say <laughs> I want to strut? Yes. Yes. He says, I want to strut. <laughs> Is then, that on yeah. YouTube? Uh, it's gotta be. It's absolutely. I want to strut. And then he walks and then staying alive comes on and it yep. is seriously one of the most ridiculous endings to a movie and I've ever the, seen. Big, as I said, I, that I remember the most about that movie. It's crazy. It is an amazing ending to seriously. It, I think a lot of people, if I were to give my honest uh, freshness rating on this, I think it's maybe a 15. 
maybe a 15, maybe a 20. Um, but for me, it's endlessly watchable. It's just so over the top ridiculous that um, I just love it. I think it's a really fun, fun movie. Um, and watching my wife now, she she has been saying uh, because there's there's this line where uh, they keep there's an endless series of just like running gags through the film that is just like it just stacks one upon another upon another upon another upon another and it keeps going even though they're not funny whatsoever they keep coming back to them and there's one where they keep uh uh, this girl keeps blowing them off and she keeps telling oh i got commitments and then he uses it on another chick now my wife every time something comes up and i'm like (laughs) so what are we doing she goes i got commitments it's just like great now that's going to be in our <laughs> vernacular from from now on but she loved the movie too so uh don't I let her watch uh, showgirls then you don't want some of that dialogue coming oh back. no oh no i know she's seen it i've been threatening <laughs> to put her back in it's one of the it's it. one of the greatest it's one of my favorite movies of the 90s actually i love showgirls it's like the yeah. one dancing movie i like yeah <laughs> It's hard, and that's the thing about this one is that it there's it's a good sixty percent all dancing, and so it's going to be a tough sell for a lot of people. But it's all done in such ridiculous amount of montage in it. It's just unbelievable. There's I would say there's probably only forty percent of this movie that's that's done in a traditional movie style. Otherwise, it's sixty percent montage. This movie just absolutely rich ridiculous so there you have it folks we've we've laid it out there for you these are the films on this list if you you go to the sad list of movies with a perfect zero percent rating on rotten tomatoes screencrush.com put this list together um these are the films and, and they're not the only films on this list that we would defend but these are the films we decided you know we think you guys should check these out i mean there's there's other stuff on here that i i would say don't deserve a zero percent rating leprechaun 2 nah i don't think so that's a super fun movie low down dirty shame mac and me manos hands of fate that absolutely does not deserve a zero percent fresh rating it's one of those hip like Plan 9 from Outer Space, this is the worst film of all time. Dude, if I could tell you how many times I've watched Manos Hands of Fate. I have the soundtrack to Plan 9 from Outer Space. Like, I bought it going, oh, the soundtrack. It's the soundtrack. It's the dialogue and the yep. special effects. Yep. It's like a radio play. Dude, it's brilliant. I have the same kind of thing with uh, Orgy of the Dead. I have the soundtrack for Orgy of the Dead, and it's the movie just in a condensed form on a CD. And it is my summer seat. <laughs> it always – it has been ever since I've got – I've had it for about 12 years now. And it's always been my summer CD. I put it in, and it's the greatest thing ever. But uh, were there any honorable mentions you guys wanted to toss out there that were on this list before we wrap this all up? Well, I definitely want to throw Low Down Dirty Shame in there. Or I'm going to get you, sucker. Which one was it that was on it? Was low, it down, low Down Dirty, dirty Shame. Shame. Yeah. yeah, one of the uh, – Keenan, man. Low Down Dirty Shame was another one I saw in the theaters. Man, that movie is great. I mean, that – you know, there's no one – Keenan was really trying to carry the torch for black exploitation on mm-hmm. through. And I, I'm going to get you, sucker. was a parody of it, but Low Down Dirty Shame, 
man, that is one. And it's so good. It's so good. You know, uh, I something I didn't mention about Three Strikes is that David Allen Greer from In Living Color uh, plays a role as a cop. And it's, uh, and, and, you know, he's one of, one of the police that's looking for uh, the guy, Brian Hook's character. Those guys, man, that is something that's just gone. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that, that era in Living Color and the people involved in it. You know, a guy and I are, were having lunch the other day and we we're talking about Hollywood Shuffle. And I was like, is Hollywood Shuffle on Blu-ray? Why not? Yeah. That's yeah. one of those lost classics, I think, now is that there's a few of those movies like you're always going to have I'm going to get you sucker. I mean, that's that is an absolute staple of 90s, you know, black exploitation. I absolutely adore that. Yeah, film. but Load Down Dirty Shame is a solid action movie. Just oh, like yeah. actually uh, and Mo Money with Damon Wayans is also a solid action movie, too. It's great. Mo Money's awesome. Yes, I agree with that. Um, Glenn, were there any was there anything you wanted to toss out there that was on there? Honorable mentions. Uh, you know, I'd have to go back and look at the list again, but I mean, a lot of my honorable ventures were ones that were covered, you know, Jaws 4 and Megaforce. I love Megaforce. <laughs> it's just, it's a fun movie, man. Yeah, Middle watched, Storm's pretty good, I, too. I watched yeah. this thing out of that when I was a kid. And that was another Showtime one. Mm-hmm. All over fucking Showtime. Like I said, I, I checked out Amityville 3D again, and uh, I've always had a soft place in my heart for that film. If they had constructed it a bit differently, I think it would have been a hell of a lot better film than it is. But I remember that being in the movie theaters um, at the same time as the big chill and Candy Clark and Tess Harper were in Amityville 3D while they're pretty much their contemporaries like Mary Kay Place. I think Candy Clark and Mary Kay Place get confused a lot. Um, but Mary Kay Place and Glenn Close and Joe Beth Williams were in the big chill, which is, you know, got the great reviews and all the press. And I'm sure they were like, fuck that Mary Kay Place. You know, here I am in Amityville 3D and she's in the big chill. But I got to tell you, I would rather watch the Amityville 3D on loop for 24 hours straight than sit through the big chill again. So, uh, I mean, not that there's anything wrong with the big chill, but I'm sure that movie is dated and, you know, and just the characters were such kind of stereotypes and tropes that I I would wonder how, how well it would hold up. And I think something as cheesy and crazy and Amityville 3D can kind of hold up, you know, across the board. Yeah. I'm that way with a lot of movies like that. Seriously, I know there's there are so many quote unquote great movies that are out there that have been made, you know, important films, films that, you know, as a cinema lover, most people feel that you're kind of like mentally deficient if you haven't seen them that that I just don't watch because I'd rather watch something goofy and fun. It's yeah. just always kind of been my taste. So, I mean, I understand. And like what I said before, I think uh, online aggregators for uh, ratings on movies, on any sort of art, is it's for the brainless masses that don't want to make up their minds uh, for themselves. So, honestly, I, I always say go with your gut and forget about going to having to use <laughs> RottenTomatoes.com as, oh, look. The Lego movie was 96%. I you know what, to go see that. What ends up happening, though, is if a movie is like 100% awesome, you watch it and you don't feel like it was 100% awesome. You kind of got to convince yourself that it really is great yeah. because you're like, yeah. I can't be – I can't – there's something wrong with me if I don't think this is great. Oh, it is great because it's supposed to be great. Same thing goes for something bad. You can think a movie's bad just because you already go in thinking knowing it's going to be bad and then you start watching it with the eye for bad. 
and it doesn't yeah. has no yeah. chance. It has no yeah. chance. You're better off just like Derek said, you know, just going with you. You know what you like, man. Come on, man. I this I'm telling you as a movie critic, we've got no purpose. There's absolutely no point. If you were going to see stuff based on what we do or do not like, that is a huge mistake. <laughs> you know, a huge mistake. Yes, I hey, agree completely. Can I toss up my uh, honorable mention quick from the list? Absolutely, uh, Mark. It, loose Cannons with Gene yeah. Hackman and Dan Aykroyd. Oh, absolutely. Yes. How does that get a zero rating? I mean, it's not the best comedy, but they actually cover some pretty dark shit in there. Yeah, that's a good movie. While working some comedy in there as well. And you've got a great cast besides Gene Hackman and Dan Aykroyd playing the Dan Aykroyd playing the split personality guy. You got Dom DeLuise in there. You got Ronnie Cox. And it's an interesting story. It may not be the most plausible, but the the idea that there was footage of Hitler's assassination and and you know it's sought after and that's one of the you know that's the motivator in the plot in that film i thought that was interesting i thought that was you know them doing something different sure it was kooky but i mean there's ups and downs in that film it it, it does not deserve a zero rating because i thought the performances by gene hackman and especially dan Aykroyd were great you know, especially Dan Aykroyd playing the the guy who was traumatized, and he's got the schizophrenia going on. You know, I mean, I I enjoy that film, and so to give it a zero rating, I think is really unfair, or just because it might not be a movie you what you expected it to be. You know, uh, so that's my honorable mention. Police Academy Four. Please get your citizens on patrol. You want to know what's funny? You want to know what's funny about that, Glenn, is that I was speaking to former Astro Radio Z host, Corey J. Udler, before this episode, and I was kind of giving him a lowdown what this episode was going to be about. And I sent him the list and he goes, citizens on patrol. Why is that on this list? Uh, And I agree. Well, but there's another case of a series of movies that, you know what? If you're a fan of Police Academy, by Police Academy 4, why would you even ever need a critic review of that film? Yeah. Oh, come on. You're going to want, if you're like, uh, you know, all the rest of the films, you're going to want to go and watch this film. So, mm-hmm. well, zero percent. Come thing, on now. You look at a lot, look at a, a fair number of movies that are on that list. A fair number of those movies came out before Rotten Tomatoes ever existed. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And I would like to actually see actual reviews that were written when these movies came out and not, as as Andrew pointed out, people who are just trying to pad their stats by cranking out reviews who just went back and said, I'm going to review Loose Cannons and I'm going to review Super Babies and, you know, all that stuff. When half these films, you know, there there was no Internet database for keeping track of this stuff. It was simply you, you read what you read in your local paper. And maybe, you know, an Entertainment Weekly type magazine. And that's it. You didn't get any other other input on it. If I wanted to be a, one of the Rotten Tomatoes reviewers or whatever, or wanted my reviews to be counted among the whatever stuff like that, I could just start reviewing every single thing I watch and counting how many farts are in it and trying to use that as an excuse of, you know, why it's not a good movie. I but think you should, awesome. actually. <laughs> farts are hilarious. Instead of Rotten Tomatoes, we need we need fart counter. And we should yeah, rate yeah. films with, with fart tomatoes. With flash fart tomatoes. 
<laughs> Rotten beans. Farting tomatoes. There you go. Farting tomatoes. F J A R T E N. Nudieshowers.com, a rating based on, purely on how many uh, women in shower scenes there are in a movie. Derek, we can hold. We that's a whole other podcast idea you just gave me, buddy. <laughs> I could, I, I'm, I could seriously just do a thirty minute tangent on what you just said. <laughs> so many things just went through my mind. Legit. Hey, I, so I've seen movies that have thirty minute tangents just on that. <laughs> Creepazoids. Uh, anyways, let's wrap this episode up. Nice. Boys, uh, RottenTomatoes.com. You can go stick it up your ass. I, I, I think a lot of this is is total bullshit. So, let, let's get Doyle out the pimpage. Let's call it a night, boys. Brian Curse, big gay horror fan. Let me know where we can find you. Best place is Facebook, big gay horror fan. I'm hanging there. Awesome, Glenn Bittner. Shoot, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Naked Hobo, and you can find me on YouTube at the B Movie Bunker. Amazing, Andrew Shearer, go for it. Hi, hi everybody. I'm Andrew Shearer. I have some movies available on Amazon on demand that you might enjoy. One is called Pajama Nightmare. One is called Fake Blood, and one is called Mondo Gonzo. Please check them out. They're only two dollars. Thank you. <laughs> they have farts and pretty girls. Thank you. <laughs> on the fart scaleometer, they rank a five. And Mark, the movie man, speaking of fartometers, where can we go? <laughs> uh, you can find my uh, reviews of the final cut uh, on YouTube slash Special Mark, uh, Horror Thursdays on wheelofilm.com, plus some written reviews. Uh, and on uh, the Spoiler Room podcast, which is on iTunes and Stitcher, uh, where many of uh, these fine folk are on there or hopefully will uh, get on there sometime. And uh, yeah, it's pretty much it. And then here in uh, Film Jerp. So I'm. I'm I'm like a plague. I'm everywhere. You know what? I totally, I totally fucked up this episode, Mark. You realize what I didn't do? What didn't you do? I should have had you rate your film on the frou-frou drink scale. <laughs> How many frou-frou drinks would you give to Megaforce? Oh, out Megaf- of five. Megaforce uh, gets uh, four frou-frou drinks out of five. Oh, wonderful! And what would the flavor be? Pina colada. No, we're talking, well, it'd be a mixture. Each one would be a different flavor. So blue Hawaiian, uh, we'd have uh, a strawberry daiquiri, a pina colada, and lemonade. What would the size of the umbrellas on them be? It, one umbrella for the all four of them. They'd all fit under one umbrella. <laughs> you know what you need? You need a, a straw that would go in between them in the very last one. Yes. Sock it all through. <laughs> There you go. Anyways, I I am your host, Derek Carey. You can find me on Facebook, on Twitter. You can find Astro Radio Z on AstroRadioZ.com, on Tumblr, on Twitter, and anywhere where you can find podcasts, you can find this wonderful, delightful family show. Um, you can also find some of the, the flicks that I make on the interwebs and brick-and-mortar stores. You can find Screaming in High Heels, Swamphead, blah, 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 movies. And also, there's another <laughs> podcast we do called Film Jerks. You can join the Facebook group and join in and become part of the family, the Film Jerk family. Go check us out. Also, you can find Film Jerks on iTunes and Stitcher Smart Radio. From all of us at Astro Radio Z, thank you for listening and see you later. <laughs> <laughs>